The results, they've been immediate, and we had one of the biggest shifts in the state. It's, it's almost magical when it all comes together, and I think to myself, this is what education is about. There were inequities everywhere. My students in South Texas ultimately taught me more than I taught them. Over 40% of our students were leaving third grade with less than proficient reading skills. And that was just something we had to stop. The bottom line is that we can prevent reading failure. We can change the trajectory of these students' lives. And I just want to shout from the rooftops, it can be done. From Glean Education, this is Ed Leaders in Literacy, a podcast series that features educators and administrators who have made hard decisions about instruction, curriculum, intervention, and school systems to close the achievement gap and build equity by improving literacy. First, a word from our sponsors. Go ahead and state your name and title and what you enjoy about working here. So my name is Kemi, and I am the Learning and Engagement Specialist here at Hagerty. I love working here because I am surrounded by colleagues who are passionate about the science of reading, passionate about seeing kids learn how to read and get all the skills that they need. Hegarty's daily phonemic awareness curriculum is used by over 450 school districts nationwide. Learn how you can get started at hegarty.org. That's H-E-G-G-E-R-T-Y dot O-R-G. I'm Jessica Hammond, founder of Glean Education, and on the show today is Nita Sharice. She has worked in education for over 17 years and has served in a variety of roles within and outside of the classroom, including literacy specialist, academic dean, and assistant principal in Marrero, Louisiana, in the greater New Orleans area. She also has extensive experience in teacher training, professional development, and instructional coaching. Her passion is literacy education, and she is a firm believer that our children's success in school is directly related to receiving strong literacy instruction in the primary grades. Today, we're here to chat with Nita about her life's work in education as a school leader, teacher trainer, and I would like to add also the podcast producer for this very podcast and a friend of ours at Glean Education. So welcome, Nita. It has been a very long time that we wanted to have you on the show, (laughs) and we are thrilled to bring you from behind the curtain. Yeah, it's so I have to say it feels really weird because the whole time I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, okay, don't be long winded. Don't breathe a lot because you want to be able to edit this. I cannot get that thought out of my head. Like, fuck good. The reason why it was so obvious to have you on this podcast is that every time we meet for a production meeting, we just dive deep into discussion (laughs) about there's about 50 minutes of discussion for every 10 minutes of work. And I thought we got to get this on tape because uh, our collaboration (laughs) is so fun and exciting, but also your depth of knowledge about literacy and training. And this area is so, is so large and so deep. So I wanted to make sure that we share it with our audience. So I'm excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So take us back to the start of your work in education, how you got in it and how you found yourself as a teacher. I guess you could say it's a family business. I come from a long line of teachers. My dad's a teacher. Both of his parents were teachers. 
some of his siblings are teachers. It's it's just the thing. Your teachers, your preachers, uh, or you're both. Like my my dad is actually both. So it was kind of like it was in my blood. Um, I'd always had a talent for explaining things. I remember lining up the encyclopedia. I was in third grade, and I made sure that all the books were in order. And that's how I taught my brothers their letter sounds because it was like my ABC chart. No one told me to do that. I just got it into my head. Like they need to learn this, but I also just like that. I, you know, they were listening. So it's like, I am in charge and I taught them their letter sounds. So I would like to say that I gave them that first foundational literacy instruction. So you're welcome. There was just this natural interest. Where did you go from there? Where did it take you? Okay. So, well, let's see. Teaching my brothers and like other kids, like we loved playing school. It wasn't fun probably for the other kids that took it like really seriously and actually gave real grades and like wanted to talk to parents. So you were actually always naturally an administrator as well. So I would like to think that I'm, I'm always a teacher at heart, even when I was an administrator, but I guess you've uncovered my deep, dark secret. I've been an administrator all this time. <laughs> When I started college, it was just kind of like, of course, I'm going to major in education. When you're growing up, family members and friends of family members notice things and they tell you things and you just kind of take it in. And I was good at it. And I've always really been into reading. Uh, I'm from Louisiana, so Southern Christian home. Uh, we went to a, a large mega church type place. And so I went to that school for a while, as well as a school that was affiliated with another church. But in third grade, I believe it was, I was pulled out and homeschooled. I was homeschooled. And I was homeschooled on the, um, the Abeka school program. Its roots are Southern Baptist. It was more faith-based. You know, it wasn't like a, a mistrust of schools. It was basically just, you know, we want our kids to be schooled in this way. And that's the decision that they made. I can say that, you know, I'm going to only speak for myself, but it's not one that I would have made. And, you know, probably should have been at school like with other people, but it's the way it happened. And so even with all of that, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I went to the University of New Orleans, got my education there and started teaching in Jefferson Parish. And I started in pre-K and loved it. No one could have, could ever have convinced me that I would ever leave pre-K. I just loved it. And, and it was just fun. Hurricane Katrina hit it upset a lot of different things. And I found myself in East Baton Rouge Parish. I was recommended for a kindergarten position. And after meeting with the principal, she said, no, I think that you should teach first grade. And so I wanted to protest that, but the storm had happened two weeks prior and I needed to have a job to continue my certification. So I was terrified because I'm like, these kids can read. <laughs> like, like this is, <laughs> these kids can read and there are like, grades given. I was just a little in intimidated. Pre-K and care were so different. But when I taught first grade, I, I'd always had a love of literacy, but I was thrown into the deep end of what does it look like? What does the instruction look like? And like all parishes and all schools, there's a program. And I followed the program, but I found that I was really drawn to the ones where phonics was the base, because that's how I learned. I can still picture the charts as in thick, it was a little skinny man. And as in thick was a bigger man. And I can picture that now. It was black and white, no frills, but I learned how to read. And so even when there were gaps in the curriculum that I didn't even realize were gaps yet, 
I just thought, well, you've never taught first grade before. So that's why this isn't making sense to you. And I just kind of kept it moving because I kind of felt like I had something to uh, prove. I just instructed them the way that I learned. And I unknowingly was doing the right thing. I knew that I was because they were reading. Most of them were reading the ones that weren't. There were probably like other, you know, other um, areas there that I was learning about how to identify that. So like, what do you do now? First grade is rough. You know, first, first grade teachers deserve all of the praise because it is really rough. You're expected to have those kids reading for sure by the time they go to second grade. So that must have been really fascinating to have been homeschooled and then start your career in traditional schooling. It was because I taught the lower grades and I was in school in the lower grades. It was, it was a nostalgic because it had been a long time though, like since, since I had been in school, you know, I was, I was homeschooled on the Abeka program from eighth grade to my senior year and then college. So coming back around, I was like, oh, cubby holes and lunch boxes. So I loved it. What was different for me and what made me seem like an alien to all of the other teachers around me was that my, my bubble was showing and I was looking for the romance. Part of this is also because you haven't been in school in years. So like, you're really like putting the lunchbox experience on a pedestal. It's just a lunchbox. But I was like, oh, lunchbox and thermoses. And, you know, and the kids were just like, can you open my straw plate? Like, what are you? <laughs> Stop staring off into the distance and give me back the lunchbox. <laughs> it, it, it was culture shock, you know? Mm. And um, I had lots of people asking like, where are you from? They're like, but where have you been? <laughs> you know, at home. <laughs> So sheltered is another way to say it, right? Because your parents made a decision to keep you guys home and create this kind of sphere that they wanted you to be, to grow up in academically and socially. Yeah, that, that's, that was, that's perfectly said. So tell me more. Those were the first kind of couple of uh, teaching experiences you had. How did you start rising to uh, school leadership and what was the path there that you took? After the Katrina year, I was actually living in, in Baton Rouge. I returned to Jefferson Parish and got hired on at Joshua Butler Elementary. And that place is where the bulk of my career was. I was there for 10 years and I learned, uh, I learned so much there, but I have to say that the leader that shaped me from the beginning and who I still think about, like even now today, her name is Denise Rem, she's still currently the, the principal at Butler. She's wonderful. And she is the one who turned to me and said, you need to think about leadership. And I said, no. <laughs> and I would blow her off every time she said that, because I was like, nope, because I see the way you run around here. The reading specialist, she had been there for years and she was ready to retire. You just kind of get that feeling like, I think I'd like to try something new. I replaced her as reading specialist. And I should also say that when I was hired on, the Reading First grant was, it was everywhere, like as a part of, um, of No Child Left Behind. And I really do have to credit all of the PD that I got with really learning. These are the components of reading, and this is how you do it, and, and this is what we're going to do. And having that 120 minutes reading block at the beginning of every class, you have to have a time when it's whole group. There must be times when it's small group. And when small group is happening, other things should be happening too. And I'd always loved literacy, but that is where there was a system. And I loved that because I like rules. 
Did you see a direct impact in your students? Did you see growth after the Reading First grants were implemented to teach the teachers and change practice? Absolutely. And I know that initially it was probably just, I was a new teacher. Like I saw the rainbows and everything. But then like, as I actually started to like know what I was talking about, I'm like, oh yeah, this, this is really, really working. Because funnily enough, when I started at Butler Elementary in fall 06, it was the same semester that I started going for my master's and my reading specialist certificate. So everything that I was getting in school was being confirmed by um, by my by my professor, and so and of course, and she was wonderful. Um, her name was Dr. Glenda Hambry at Xavier University of Louisiana. I don't think she's there anymore, but I learned so much from her. It just dovetailed really nicely to be able to live out what I was teaching. I evolved into that teacher that was like, "What are the skills?" that this theme is supposed to teach. And then I'm gonna go choose my, my, my own books. What led to that was there are five. And if you are not bringing the funny and bringing the, 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 the entertainment, they're gonna to go to sleep or you're gonna be writing some sort of behavior note because they're bored. And they will tell you that they are bored because they don't have any tact. <laughs> just be like, this is boring, I want a snack. And so like, you had to bring it. And so, and there were just some books where I was so bored. I was so bored. And I remember I stopped in the middle of a book and got, another book. And when I tell you that for weeks after, I felt like those children would get to a point in their career where it's like, I don't know the answer to this because Ms. Clark didn't finish that book on day three, uh, week two of theme seven, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it totally pinpoints the psychological nature and the burden of teaching. And it also pinpoints sometimes the problem with the materials that we have. They should be tools and vehicles and not, not something that keeps you weighed down or steers you in, a, in the wrong direction. So I think what I'm hearing is as you got more experienced, you were able to take your knowledge and say, no, this doesn't do the trick for my kids. Mm -hmm. Were you able to find that the materials you had and the curriculum you had really supported your students and allowed them to see themselves in the curriculum too? I remember this is something that you mentioned in an earlier conversation that you a lot of times had to work to make the content culturally responsive. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes, I did. While there were books that represented black kids and brown kids and things like that, it wasn't nearly as much as I know that I would find now. But what I found that I had to do was I don't see anything that represents not just black children, but these Black children that live in West Wego or in Louisiana, there's, you know, there's different cultures and just different things that I know that they're not seeing. And so, um, and I can't say that like I was an expert on it, but what I did start doing um, is what most teachers start doing. The flip books are maybe made with pictures of the students. And we didn't even know that that's what CRT was. It, it, it was just hey, they really seem to be more into me when they see themselves all over this classroom. Now that I look back, um, as a matter of fact, one of the episodes that we released a couple of months ago. Lauren Mascareñas. Yes. While I was, you know, I loved, well, I love all the episodes really, but I love that one because I was like, yeah, I did that. Have their work on the wall as much as possible. You know, all the other little posters are cute but have their work on the wall. But I knew like they need to see themselves because they don't see themselves anywhere else. So they need to see that. You were starting to move up. So you were, you know, a teacher, then you were starting to move through and become an administrator. 
What did you see as an administrator that made you interested in the trajectory you're on now in terms of being a trainer as well? Kind of you've like, you've passed through classroom instruction and school leadership, and then you left school leadership and started kind of working as a consultant and a trainer through Black Teacher Collaborative and um, through other companies as well. So I'd love to hear a little more about that. Tell me about the journey to training as well. Yeah, um, well, when I became a reading specialist after spending six years in the classroom at Butler, but then I think like maybe nine years total in, in the classroom, one part of being the reading specialist was not only um, conducting reading interventions with the kids and doing the testing, but you had to train a lot too. But I conducted my first professional development session when I was still in the classroom. It was my last year um, as a kindergarten teacher and um, I had become a Debbie Diller groupie. I don't know if you're familiar with Debbie Diller. She, um, she was a teacher out of Texas and this woman is like the HGTV of classroom environment, how to set up your room. And it wasn't just about like looking pretty. It was all in the service of instruction, especially when you are not at a dream school where you have like all of the space. And so I read her book and I remember I was hooked. My principal sent me to Houston to go to her seminar, which was like two or three days. Um, and I didn't realize how big time I was. Like I stayed in the hotel where the conference was happening. That's usually the most expensive hotel. So thank you, Ms. Ron, that was probably a lot. Um, but I also was responsible for coming back and turning it around. And that's what I did. So those three PD days that you have in the ramp up of school uh, starting again, my principal set up like breakout rooms. So we all met as a faculty to talk about you know, like all of the things. And then everyone had to go to a different session and it was held in the classroom. And my classroom was literally set up the way that I had learned. And I taught everybody how to, you know, I did a session on like, you know, this is how your writing station can look. And, you know, this is how to make use of a shelf. So like those rolling, I love the rolling shelves, but on the back, you staple a pocket chart. It was very simple stuff, but things that you don't always just think about. So it was literally like, it was interior design meets literacy instruction. And I loved it. And I think I was kind of comfortable in that because I was in my own classroom and it just felt like a bunch of teachers stopped by on their break and I was just talking. And I'm like holding court and talking, I can do that. But my first session that, that, that was like reading specialist and we're in the library where all of the things took place and I had a PowerPoint and I was very nervous. But I did something that I've been doing ever since and also should have tipped me off that I need to be doing something else was I would just pretend to be somebody else. I didn't tell anybody that. Like I didn't, <laughs> you know, I probably would have been evaluated. I presented as myself, but I made up a backstory. My name is Lisa and I travel around the country and I give this specific session. And I would just tell myself that and then just do it. To them, I, you know, I was Sunita, but inside I was like, oh no, I am Lisa and I'm a pro. <laughs> um, I just got a raise because I'm so good. Like I started like adding on to her story. <laughs> I feel like sometimes that those are the things we need to do to make ourselves convinced that we're the experts that we, that other people believe we are. Yeah. Right? And, and that I, actually are, but are like kind of hesitant have, about saying it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. I think it's super interesting, actually, and I don't mean to get overly psychological, but I think actually it speaks to a larger issue of, of what I've felt as a classroom teacher is that 
there is this veil that we're asked as educators to kind of put up over ourselves. Like we are actually not always asked to bring our own selves to the classroom or to the principalship or to the um, superintendentship. And I think that that's really interesting. In this move to cultural responsive instruction, we're saying like the kids have to be there. We want to acknowledge, we want to affirm them. It just kind of dawned on me that there's a real space for us to acknowledge and affirm the real full lives of teachers and administrators too, and say, bring it, like bring what you are, all of it, the messiness mm-hmm. and the and the professionalness, because that it actually is the whole package. So you're absolutely right. I mean, there was a time in this country where where teachers they could dictate where you live. It was just it's it's been regimented from the beginning, especially when there were more women, you know, who were teachers. Where are you driven next? Where do you, where do you see things going for you? Well, um, I right now am working on a pilot. I really, really, really want to write for TV. That is, if it's not the ultimate goal, um, because there are so many things that I'm interested in that I enjoy doing, I feel like my ultimate goal is to be able to do all of those things and be paid well for them. Um, I want to write for, for television, but I really do love podcasting and editing. Like, even though with every new episode, there's always a little bit of anxiety, which is something that I, I always feel, even before things that I've done a million times before. Once I'm into it, it's like, I remember you like this. This is not scary. You enjoy doing it. And I really do enjoy doing it. And I think it also helps that it's about literacy and all these people in all different parts of the country doing amazing things. So I I really would like to continue uh, to edit and produce podcasts. Also, I enjoy voiceovers. Um, I voiced a movie a few years ago that went to the Slam Dance Fest. It's a short film called, called August, directed by Caitlin Green. Google it and watch it. And I enjoy that experience so much. And so um, I wanna do all those, those, those things, but I'm enjoying you know working with, with you uh, in doing this, I'm learning a lot and I'm getting to hear about like all of these leaders in literacy and it's, it's fascinating. I'm truly enjoying it. I truly cool. am. So, um, yeah. Cool. Um, right. Very cool. Well, you're a gift to any, any area you settle into. So just keep up the good work and thanks for being you and thanks for oh, working with us. Thank you. Did you like hearing about Nita Sharice? You can find her at Nita Sharice on all the socials and you can listen to her amazing editing work on our Ed Leaders in Literacy podcasts. Thank you for listening to our Ed Leaders in Literacy podcast. To find links to the articles and resources mentioned in this podcast, go to gleaneducation.com backslash edleaderspodcast and access them in the show notes. Bye for now. This episode was edited and produced by Nita Sharice.